Welcome to Fast Asleep. We are so glad you're here with us and so glad to bring you another important female writer. Wikipedia paints this episode's author with this sentence. Joanna Russ was an American writer, academic, and radical feminist. Hmm. Okay. In a field dominated by men, Ms. Russ made her mark in science fiction and fantasy and was inducted in that Hall of Fame in 2013. Let me see. Um, she also won the Nebula, Otherwise, Pilgrim, and Hugo Awards, among many others, before she passed in 2011. The short story responsible for many of Ms. Russ's accolades is ours in this episode. I'm sure you'll understand why it is so lauded. So let's do this. Let's tuck in and enjoy. When it changed. Katie drives like a maniac. We must have been doing over 120 kilometers per hour on those turns. She's good though, extremely good. And I've seen her take the whole car apart and put it together again in a day. My birthplace on while away was largely given to farm machinery and I refused to wrestle with a five gear shift at unholy speeds, not having been brought up to it. But even on those turns, in the middle of the night, on a country road, as bad as only our district can make them, Katie's driving, it didn't scare me. The funny thing about my wife, though, she will not handle guns. She's even gone hiking in the forests above the 48th parallel without firearms for days at a time. And now that does scare me. Katie and I have three children between us, one of hers and two of mine. Eureka, my eldest, was asleep in the back seat, dreaming 12-year-old dreams of love and war, running away to sea, hunting in the north, dreams of strangely beautiful people in strangely beautiful places. Oh, <laughs> all that wonderful guff you think up when you're turning 12 and the glands start going. <laughs> Someday soon, like all of them, she will disappear for weeks on end to come back grimy and proud, having knifed her first cougar or shot her first bear, dragging some abominably dangerous dead beastie behind her 
which I will never forgive for what it might have done to my daughter. Eureka says Katie's driving puts her to sleep. For someone who fought three duels, mm -hmm, I am afraid of far, far too much. And I'm getting old. I told this to my wife. You're 34, she said, laconic, to the point of silence, that one. She flipped the lights on, on the dash, three kilometers to go, and the road getting worse all the time, far out in the country. Electric green trees rushed into our headlights and around the car. I reached down next to me where we bolt the carrier panel to the door and eased my rifle into my lap. Eureka stirred in the back. <laughs> my height, but Katie's eyes. Katie's face. The car engine is so quiet. Katie says that you can hear breathing in the back seat. Yuki had been alone in the car when the message came, enthusiastically decoding her dot dashes. Now it's silly to mount a wide-frequency transceiver near an IC engine, but most of while away is on steam. She had thrown herself out of the car, <laughs> my gangly and gaudy offspring, shouting, at the top of her lungs. So, of course, she had had to come along. We've been intellectually prepared for this ever since the colony was founded, ever since it was abandoned. But this is different. This is awful. Men! <laughs> Yuki had screamed, leaping over the car door. They've come, real earth men! We met them in the kitchen of the farmhouse, near the place where they had landed. The windows were open, the night air very mild. We had passed all sorts of transportation when we parked outside. Steam tractors, trucks, an icy flatbed, even a bicycle. Lydia, the district biologist, had come out of her northern taciturnity long enough <laughs> to take blood and urine samples and was sitting in a corner of the kitchen, shaking her head in astonishment over the results. She even forced herself, very big, very fair, very shy, always painfully blushing, to dig up the old language manuals, though I can talk the old tongues in my sleep, and do. Lydia is uneasy with us. We're Southerners, and too flamboyant. I counted 20 people in that kitchen, all the brains of North Continent. Phyllis Spett, I think, had come in by glider. Yuki was the only child there. 
then I saw the four of them. They are bigger than we are. They are bigger and broader. Two were taller than I, and I am extremely tall, one meter eighty centimeters in my bare feet. They are obviously of our species, but off, indescribably off. And as my eyes could not and still cannot quite comprehend the lines of those alien bodies, I could not then bring myself to touch them. Though the one who spoke Russian, oh, and what voices they have, wanted to uh, shake hands? A custom from the past, I imagine. I can only say they were apes with human faces. And he seemed to mean well. Oh, but I found myself shuddering back almost the length of the kitchen. And then I laughed apologetically and then to set a good example. Interstellar amity, I thought. I did. I did shake hands, finally. A hard, hard hand. And they are heavy as draft horses. Blurred, deep voices. Eureka had sneaked in between the adults and was gazing at the men with her mouth open. He turned his head. Those words have not been in our language for 600 years. And said in bad Russian, Who's that? My daughter, I said, and added with that irrational attention to good manners we sometimes employ in moments of insanity. My daughter, Eureka Janetson, we use the patronomic, uh, I guess you would say matronomic. He laughed, kind of involuntarily, and Yuki exclaimed, I thought they would be good looking. Greatly disappointed at this reception of herself, Phyllis Hegelson Spett, whom someday I shall kill, gave me across the room a cold, level, venomous look, as if to say, watch what you say. You know what I can do. It's true that I have little formal status, but Madam President will get herself in serious trouble with both me and her own staff if she continues to consider industrial espionage good, clean fun. Wars and rumors of wars, as it says in one of our ancestors' books. I translated Yuki's words into the man's dog Russian. Once our lingua franca, and the man laughed again. Where are all your people? he said conversationally. I translated again and watched the faces around the room. Lydia, embarrassed as usual, spat narrowing her eyes with some damned scheme. Katie, very pale, 
This is while away, I said. He continued to look unenlightened. While away, I said. Do you remember? Do you have records? There, there was a plague on while away. He looked moderately interested. Heads turned in the back of the room, and I caught a glimpse of the local professions parliament delegate. And by morning, every town meeting, every district caucus would be in full session. Plague, he said. Well, that's most unfortunate. Yes, I said, most unfortunate. We lost half our population in one generation. Well, he looked properly impressed. While away was lucky, I said. We had a big initial gene pool. We had been chosen for extreme intelligence. We had a high technology and a large remaining population in which every adult was two or three experts in one. The soil is good, the climate is blessedly easy, and there are 30 millions of us now. Things are beginning to snowball in industry. Do you understand? Give us 70 years and we'll have more than one real city, more than a few industrial centers, full-time professions, full-time radio operators, full-time machinists. You give us 70 years and not everyone will have to spend three quarters of a lifetime on the farm. And I tried to explain how hard it is when artists can practice full-time only in old age, when there are so few, so very few, who can be free, like Katie and myself. I tried also to outline our government, two houses, the one by professions and the geographic one. I told him that district caucuses handled problems too big for the individual towns and that population control was not a political issue, not yet. Well, give us time, and it would be. And this was a delicate point in our history. Give us time. There was no need to sacrifice the quality of life for an insane rush into industrialization. Let us go our own pace. Give us time. Uh, where are all the people? said the monomaniac. I realized then that he did not mean people. He meant men. And he was giving the word the meaning it had not had on while away for six centuries. They died, I said, 30 generations ago. I thought we had poleaxed him. He caught his breath. 
He made as if to get out of the chair he was sitting in. He put his hand to his chest. He looked around at us with the strangest blend of awe and sentimental tenderness. And then he said, solemnly and earnestly, a great tragedy. I waited, not quite understanding. Yes, he said, catching his breath again with a queer smile. That adult child smile that tells you something is being hidden and will be presently produced with cries of encouragement and joy. A great tragedy. But it's over. And again he looked around at all of us with the strangest deference, as if we were invalids. You've adapted amazingly, he said. To what? I said. He looked embarrassed. He looked inane. And finally he said, Well, where I come from, the, the women don't dress so plainly. Like you? I said. Like a bride. For the men were wearing silver from head to foot. I had never seen anything so gaudy. He made as if to answer and then apparently thought better of it. He laughed at me again with an odd exhilaration as if we were something childish and something wonderful, as if he were doing us an enormous favor. He took one shaky breath and said, well, we're here. I looked at Spet. Spet looked at Lydia. Lydia looked at Amalia, who was the head of the local town meeting. Amalia looked at, I don't know whom. My throat was raw. Now I cannot stand local beer, which the farmers swill as if their stomachs had iridium li linings, but, well, I took it anyway from Amalia. It was her bicycle we had seen outside as we parked, and I swallowed it all. This was going to take a long time. I said, yes, here you are, and smiled, feeling like a fool, and wondered seriously if male earth people's minds worked so very differently from female earth people's minds, but that that couldn't be so, or their race would have died out long ago. The radio network had got the news around planet by now, and we had another Russian speaker flown in from Varna. I decided to cut out now. When the man passed around pictures of his wife, who looked like the priestess of some arcane cult, he proposed to question Yuki, so I barreled her into a back room, in spite of her furious protests, and went out on the front porch. 
As I left, Lydia was explaining the difference between parthenogenesis, which is so easy that anyone can practice that, and what we do, which is the merging of ova. That is why Katie's baby looks like me. Lydia went on to the Ansky process, and Katie Ansky, our one full polymath genius, and the great, great, uh, geez, I don't know how many times, great grandmother of my own, Katharina. A dot dash transmitter in one of the outbuildings chattered faintly to itself, operators flirting and passing jokes down the line. There was a man on the porch, the other tall man. I watched him for a few minutes. I can move very quietly when I want to. And when I allowed him to see me, he stopped talking into the little machine hung around his neck. And then he calmly, in excellent Russian, said, Did you know that sexual equality has been reestablished on Earth? You're the real one, I said, aren't you? The other one's for show. It was a great relief to get things cleared up. And he nodded affably. As a people, we are not very bright, he said. There's been too much genetic damage in the last few centuries. Radiation, drugs. We can use while away's genes, Janet. Hmm. Strangers do not call strangers by their first name. Well, you can have cells enough to drown in, I said. Breed your own. He smiled. That's not the way we want to do it. Behind him, I saw Katie come into the square of light that was the screened-in door. And he went on low and urbane, not mocking me, I think, but with the self-confidence of someone who has always had money and strength to spare, who doesn't know what it is to be second-class or provincial, which is very odd because the day before I would have said that that was an exact description of me. I'm talking to you, Janet, he said, because I suspect you have more popular influence than anyone else here. You know as well as I do that parthenogenic culture has all sorts of inherent defects. And we do not, if we can help it, mean to use you for anything of the sort. Oh, pardon me. I should not have said use. But surely you can, you can see that this kind of society, it's unnatural. Humanity is unnatural. Katie. She had my rifle under her left arm. 
the top of that silky head does not quite come up to my collarbone, but <laughs> oh, she is tough as steel. He began to move, again with that queer smiling deference, which his fellow had showed to me, but he had not. And the gun slid into Katie's grip as if she had shot with it all her life. I agree, said the man. Humanity is unnatural, and I should know. I have metal in my teeth and metal pins. Here, he touched his shoulder. Seals are harem animals, he added, and so are men. Apes are promiscuous, and so are men. Doves are monogamous. And so are men. There are even celibate men and homosexual men. There are homosexual cows, I believe. <laughs> but while away, while away is still missing something. And he gave a dry chuckle. I will give him the credit of believing that it had something to do with his nerves. I miss nothing, said Katie except that life isn't endless. Um, you, uh, you are, said the man nodding from me to her. Wives, said Katie. We're married. Again, that dry chuckle. Yeah, it's a good economic arrangement, he said, for working and taking care of the children and as good an arrangement as any for randomizing heredity, if your reproduction is made to follow the same pattern. But think, Katharina Michaelison, if there isn't something better that you might secure for your daughters. I believe in instincts, even in man. And I can't think that the two of you, a machinist, are you? And I gather you're some sort of uh, chief of police. The two of you don't feel somehow what even you must miss. Well, you know it intellectually, of course. There is only half a species here. Men must come back to while away. Katie said nothing. I should think, Katharina Michaelison, said the man gently, that you, of all people, would benefit most from such a change. And he walked past Katie's rifle into the square of light coming from the door. And I think it was then that he noticed my scar, which really does not show unless the light is from the side a fine line that runs from temple to chin. Most people don't even know about it. Where did you get that? He said. And I answered with an involuntary grin. In my last duel. And then we stood there, bristling at each other. For several seconds, 
This is absurd, but true. Until he went inside and shut the screen door behind him. Katie said in a brittle voice, You damn fool! Don't you know when we've been insulted? And she swung that rifle to shoot him through the screen. Oh, but I got to her before she could fire and knocked the rifle out of aim. It burned a hole through the porch floor. (sighs) Katie was shaking and she kept whispering over and over, that's why I never touched it because I knew I would kill someone. I knew I'd kill someone. The first man, the one I'd spoken with first, was still talking inside the house. Something about the grand movement to recolonize and rediscover all the earth had lost. Of course, he stressed the advantages to while away. Trade, exchange of ideas, education. And he too said that sexual equality had been reestablished on earth. Katie. Katie was right, of course. We should have burned them down where they stood. Men are coming to while away. When one culture has the big guns and the other has none, there is a certain predictability about the outcome. Maybe men would have come eventually in any case. I like to think that a hundred years from now, my great-grandchildren could have stood them off or fought them to a standstill. But even that's no odds. I will remember all my life those four people I first met who were muscled like bulls and who made me, if only for a moment, feel small. A neurotic reaction, Katie says. I remember everything that happened that night. I remember Yuki's excitement in the car. I remember Katie's sobbing when we got home, as if her heart would break. I remember her lovemaking, a little preemptory as always. (laughs) Oh, but wonderfully soothing and comforting. I remember prowling restlessly around the house after Katie fell asleep with that one bare arm hung into a patch of light from the hall. Oh, the muscles of her forearms are like metal bars. It's from all that driving and testing of her machines. (laughs) Sometimes I dream about Katie's arms. I remember wandering into the nursery and picking up my wife's baby dozing for a while with the poignant, amazing warmth of an infant in my lap. And finally, returning to the kitchen to find Eureka 
fixing herself a late snack. Oh, my daughter, she eats like a great dame. Yuki, I said, do you think you could fall in love with a man? And she whooped derisively with a ten-foot toad, said my tactful child. <laughs> but men are coming to while away. And lately, I sit up nights and worry about the men who will come to this planet, about my two daughters and Betta Canarinison, about what will happen to Katie and to me and to my life. Our ancestors' journals are one long cry of pain, and I suppose I ought to be glad now. But one can't throw away six centuries, or even, as I have lately discovered, 34 years. Sometimes I laugh at the question those four men hedged about all evening and never quite dared to ask, looking at the lot of us hicks in overalls, farmers in canvas pants and plain shirts. Ah, which of you plays the role of uh, the man? as if we had to produce a carbon copy of their mistakes. I doubt very much that sexual equality has been reestablished on Earth. I do not like to think of myself mocked, of Katie deferred to as if she were weak, of Yuki made to feel unimportant or silly, of my other children cheated for their full humanity or turned into strangers. And I'm afraid that my own achievements will dwindle from what they were or what I thought they were to the not very interesting curiosa of the human race, the oddities you read about in the back of the book things to laugh at sometimes because they're so exotic, quaint, but not impressive, charming, but not useful. I think I find this more painful than I can say. You will agree that for a woman who has fought three duels, all of them kills, indulging in such fears is ludicrous. What's around the corner now? Why, it's a duel so big that I don't think I have the guts for it. In Faust's words, Wer villa Deutsch, du bist so schön. Keep it as it is. Don't change. Sometimes at night, I remember the original name of this planet, changed by the first generation of our ancestors, those curious women for whom I suppose the real name was too painful a reminder after the men died. For a 
while. I find it amusing, in a grim way, to see it all so completely turned around. <sighs> this too shall pass. All good things must come to an end. Take my life, but don't take away the meaning of my life. Good night.